Hello again, and welcome to uh, the podcast, Exploring Mental Illness, Everything You Wanted to Know But Were Afraid to Ask. I'm Derek Mulhan, joined once again by Carrie Ballou from Fuller Hospital. What are we? Good afternoon. Good evening, Carrie. I think we're in the good evening range. Good evening, Derek. How are you? Uh, I am doing okay. We're in the spring season now, so I'm back at the baseball yard filming baseball, which is a lot of fun being outside again. Three of my friends are going through some tough stuff, so it's had some anxiety on me. My friend Bob... I'm so worried about having a heart attack this year. I think we've told people since I I turned 48, my dad had a heart attack at 48. Well, one of my best friends had a heart attack at 51. Recently? Yes, as recently as five weeks ago. Oh, my goodness. This is how good of a friend he is. He waited a week to tell me till he got home because he knew he was at my father's wake and funeral. He was one of the pallbearers, and he knew that it it was going to freak me out. And he, in his time of need, he waited to tell me that he had had a heart attack. He had five stints put in. He's already back at work full time. So I think he dodged a, you know, he dodged a huge bullet. You know, I told him, I said, honestly, you know, everything freaks me out since I turned 48. But I I so much appreciated what he did. One of my friends' uh, wife was just diagnosed with uh, bipolar, um, schizophrenia, and split personality. He's got a ways to go, and um, another friend is, uh, is going through a lot. So it causes me anxiety to see my friends in a bad place. But for me, um, you know, I've got to worry about myself also while taking care of other people. So I'm on pretty much an even keel. Last night, just for some reason, I had a bunch of anxiety hit me. I thought I was going to have to call the hospital. Went through all my meditation, checked my blood sugars, went through my checklist, played a video game, and then I fell asleep. So it was... It worked? It, it worked. worked. Your yeah, checklist is, is definitely something that we have heard consistently is a, is a huge tool and uh, technique that you use to kind of de-escalate. Yeah, it, it, it just kept coming up. I was just like, oh, man, I hate this feeling. It'll go away if you let it. It will stay there if you want it. I didn't want it. So I did everything to, you know, like I said, you, you do your checklist and you run down everything. So in my previous life, and I worked in uh, I worked in case management for several years with individuals who had mental health issues as well as intellectual disability, Prader-Willi syndrome, challenging behaviors um, in a residential treatment setting. And one of the things that we did is we would go over our individual's medications with our psychiatrist that was assigned to our building. And I'll never forget, he explained to us once that your body – Like physiologically, studies have shown that our bodies cannot produce or literally be in the state of anxiousness for more than like an hour and a half. Like after an hour and a half or something, your body just, it it doesn't, it can't, I don't know if it's produced the chemical. I I didn't do a deeper dive with him on that, but you get where I'm coming from. So looking at the physiological aspect of anxiety, even though it stems in our in our head and our minds to a point with triggers and, and different things, we have to remember there is a physiological component. There's an, eventually there's no chemical fueling the symptoms that our bodies are going through. So if I ever get anxious enough, or if I know someone who has anxiety, I'll sometimes give them that tip because I'm like, if you can wait it out an hour and a half, <laughs> you you'll be home free. Well, I was worried because I think it happened. It you know it upset my stomach. You know, because of the anxiety. And then I started having chest pains. And I was just uh, like, here we go. Here it is. This is this is, this is is what I've been waiting for. Here comes the heart attack. And it wasn't because everybody reminds me there's no such thing as a three, four-hour heart attack. You know, you're going to have it. And, and when I went to see my friend Bob, I said, Bob, you need to walk me through this. Because believe it or not, all that time that I spent with my dad, I never talked about how it felt, what happened. 
or what the symptoms were. I've only read about them. As bad as this situation and as good as it turned out to be bad and good, now, believe it or not, my best friend is another resource. And it was tough for me to listen to him explain how his heart attack started. He waited in the waiting room for 20 minutes at a, ho at a hospital in Rhode Island because they weren't worried. And then as soon as they looked at his EKGs, they said, Bob, I'm Dr. So-and-so, you're having a heart attack. We're gonna bring you into the back. So he told me what he felt. And now I know even more symptoms to look for, which I thought was good and bad at the same time. But like I said, he, he's back to work. He's in a, um, a regimented exercise program that they keep an eye on. He does stress tests and stuff like that. He'll do that for six weeks, and then he'll change his diet and stuff like that, and he'll, you know, he'll be back on the, uh, on the track. I'm listening to you, and I, of course, have heard your story, and I know your story, and I know that your dad's passing is a huge trigger for you when it comes to your anxiety, that fear of, especially now that you've reached that, that age. I'm kind of an outside-the-box thinker, I would say, and one of the things that just popped into my head is if kind of like with a lioness blanket, you know how with a lioness blanket, when lioness, he had his blanket, he always was better when he had his blanket, even if the blanket did nothing. Um, sometimes just having things or tools in place that help to reverse that thinking that you are having a heart attack. So for you, you think it's going to be happening and then you de-escalate yourself using your checklist and then you also go through all the symptoms in your head. Have you ever thought about getting like a portable EKG machine, something you could put on at home? That I have one. You do want. You yes, have one. I, See? I have one. I have one. Huh? I bought one, a battery operated one from CVS about, oh, like 10 years ago. But you know what? I don't use it because deep down inside, I know I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not having one. And, it, you know, last night I was worried, but then I thought about what Bob had said. And I was just like, all right, this is probably just indigestion. You got your stomach all upset over nothing. And that's exactly what happened. I woke up this morning. Everything was fine. Have you ever, how many times have you used the EKG? I used to that? use it constantly. Oh, you did. <laughs> I used to use it constantly. I mean, I would have to buy, I mean, and the thing took nine batteries. Oh, jeez. And I'd be, I'd be buying batteries every day, and I'm just like, you know what? And then it would say, you know, but now if, you know, if I'm worried, I go to CVS and I get it checked out. And But I don't, my doctors told me, my cardio, I don't have high blood pressure. I don't. You know, I mean, when I go into the doctor's office, he takes it twice. You know, the first time it's usually around 120 over 82. And then the last time I went to the doctor a couple of, a couple of months ago, it was 116 over 70. Yeah. Yeah, you can't, yeah, you're not, you know, I'm doing pretty good about that. So. Pretty interesting stuff, though. But it's, it's interesting that you did take that step. But I, in some ways, some folks may say, is it just creating more of a problem by then you become almost fixated on self-evaluation? Um, I think it's a slippery slope that's up to the individual. Some people may use it. That's to why I got away from it because it, it, it did worry me. Like I used to wear an elastic band on my wrist, which was a, a thing where if you had a panic attack, you'd snap it and the pain would kind of disorientate you, you know, to get it out. But I don't, I don't like to wear things that reminded me of when I was so, so bad. I have so many tools now. I don't need to, you know, I don't, some people, if they still need to use them, that's great. Um, but now I rely on my mental checklist instead of a physical component. Which doesn't mean I, I, I won't go back to it again, you know? So, um, 
But anyway, you know, uh, you know, how how's things at Fuller? So things at Fuller are great. We are uh, gearing up for spring summer. We are in the process of planning our or starting the process for planning our behavioral health and wellness fair, which is something that we've had will be going on three years. Um, it's a really great community outreach opportunity for folks that want more resources, but it also allows for some family fun on our property and it kind of opens the doors for folks to to get to know us at Fuller. Um, we have some exciting things happening. We're doing some construction and some expanding of our outpatient services. We can actually have the capacity to be able to provide um, outpatient services to even more folks in the community. So yeah, that's been pretty cool and exciting and just kind of moving along and happy to have my friend Portia here. So we have it with us today in studio, Portia Gray Goffigan. Uh, Portia reached out to me several months ago um, as a person in the community who wanted, who had listened to our podcast. Yay! Yay! Um, she was really fascinated by it. She called me at work because I give my contact info, and it was an awesome phone call. Her and I had an amazing discussion about a little bit about her, what she has to bring to the table, some of her life experiences and advocacy that she's done with mental health, um, her personal story. You know, Portia and I have met up a couple times, too, and had discussions about it. And I'm really excited to have her on the podcast today because I think that as, a, as an advocate and a survivor, um, you are a fantastic example, one of many, including um, Derek, of, of being able to live successfully with managing your mental illness. Oh, well, thank you, Carrie. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Portia. Oh, hi, everyone. I'm Portia Greg off again. I, I live here in Attleboro. And I, unlike Derek, I am a survivor of um, mental health daily, uh, but I do not work any longer in the public sector. I work in the private sector doing advocacy. Um, I'm on disability, and it's a tough avenue. Uh, I find that living on disability is something that you get a lot of backlash for. So I was sharing that with Carrie and how I was so excited to hear Derek's story about living with disability. And he was describing some of his panic attacks on his way to work. And I was so excited and encouraged by his stories and his strength on his way to work and how he dealt with his anxiety attacks yet pushed forward. I'm excited to be here to encourage those like myself who are not able to push themselves forward into the public sector but are in the private areas at home and to encourage them that even though those like myself that are at home on disability, um, to be encouraged that we can find things to do at home that will still make yourself feel productive because I struggled with that. I struggled with being on disability and no longer being able to pull a 35 to 40 hour work week and feel productive because there are those that make you feel you're not worthy when you can't pay taxes and um, be seen in the work field. But I am a mom 
And we know that that is a full-time job. Yes, that is a full-time job. So I am a mom, and that was a full-time job, but that is not something that takes the place of putting on the clothes that take you out to be seen, like your suits and your heels and your sneakers and your fold-down socks and your trench coats. So that didn't fulfill me. I had to find something else to do to fulfill my mental energy that I was used to doing with my 40-hour job. I had to feel fulfilled within myself as an older woman um, that I was when I went on disability. I had to be fulfilled within myself that I was being productive as a citizen, that I was still being productive, and that I was showing my children uh, that even though I had these uh, disabilities that were making mom have to stay at home, that I could still be productive. So I found myself dealing, I must admit, I had to deal with myself, that I wasn't beating myself up, dealing with these descriptions that I was hearing from the outside, and I was hearing them on the inside because I had been raised with them. If you weren't out being productive, then you were not doing your due diligence as a person, as a good human being. So I was beating myself up as well, which, of course, wasn't helping my, my mental health, which at that time I didn't know just what was going on with myself. I wasn't, sh- I wasn't sure exactly what my diagnosis was. It, it would change in the years to come until it, we're sure to where it is right now. And it has changed over the years, as Derek has shared with me, how he's come to the diagnosis that he has now. Um, So I've been able to share that with those that I've advocated for um, in the community here in Attleboro. Um, Coming through the homeless shelter here in Attleboro, which is how I came to live here in Attleboro, um, through the homeless shelter, and I saw women dealing with uh, situations that made me want to deal with human services. Uh, I knew I couldn't go back to school, though, because I couldn't concentrate enough. And I had too much on my plate. But I found myself helping them, sharing resources uh, here in, in the community, like mental health services, DTA, and things like that. And what would happen was I would need the services. I'd use them, and I'd write things down, or I'd take Um, their business cards, and then I'd share them with the women back in the shelter. And uh, I was uh, given an apartment in Attleboro Housing, which is where I am now the president of the uh, tenant association for the family units. And um, I found myself helping all the families there. And I love it. I love it. So uh, it's kind of insulting to me when people say I don't work um, because I don't work for pay. Um, but I, I, I live off of disability. At one time, I did pay taxes. But for those that have not paid taxes and are, and are on disability, I don't think we should be putting them down either. So I don't feel like I should have to justify myself that I did or did not pay taxes. So you can still hear me trying to justify myself. I still do it. I still want to justify myself in that old school way of, have you paid your due diligence? Uh, so I have to correct myself, and I'm sorry for anyone that I just stepped on their toes. Um, but I just well, did some you don't, old school well, there. I got to stop you right there. You don't need to apologize to anybody. Yeah. 
Listen, I mean, if you've been diagnosed with a disability, and I don't like calling mental illness a disability. It's an illness. You have an illness You're that right. can't be cured. It can be controlled. Yes. When we were talking off air, mm-hmm. you had said, you know, it's, it was a no-no to, you know, say, hey, you know, I have a problem. Well, no, keep that to yourself. We, that's not allowed in the family. But you bring up a point where back in the day, the women were supposed to be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen taking care of their husband. And now that the people that are saying, you know, you're supposed to keep the mental illness in the dark, now you're doing the old school, you're being a, a full-time mom which is what you were supposed to be doing back then, but now you're supposed to be doing more than being a full-time mom. You know what I mean? Yes. It's, you're, you're, getting, you're getting crap from two ends yes. that is totally nonsensical. Yes. You know, oh, well, you know, back in the day, barefoot and pregnant, now, oh, you should be doing a lot more. Women's rights, women's movements, let's go, let's go. Yes. You know, you have done a lot. You're raising a child. You're working on yourself. Listen, getting up every day is a full-time job when you have mental illness. You know that. So you have no right to apologize to anybody because they haven't walked 10 feet in your shoes. Thank you. No, and I'm not, the bottom line, I mean, I pay taxes on my disability and I'm working to get off disability. I'm a people person. I love being outside, but there are, there are so many different forms. I used to apologize for everything. You have to stop that. Yes. Because to hell with them. I need to hear that. Thank you. No, no, Thank seriously. You, I'm not doing that to pump you up either. No, it's just, I, it's, it's, a, it's a right support. of life that you pay into this. There are people, obviously, who take advantage yes. of, of the disability system, of the food stamp system, of this, that, and the other things. Here is somebody I'm looking at across the table who was homeless, who went to the homeless shelter, who got an apartment, who is a mom, who realized her limits that she can't get out there yet. But even though she can't get out there, she still decided. She's Now she's the head of the Tenants Association. Now she's probably helped more people than she actually realizes. And just because you're not getting paid for that doesn't mean that you're not being useful and doesn't mean that you have to apologize to, to Jack for people out there. So you need to hold yourself up high and say, you know what? I'm a good person. I'm doing, I'm doing a lot of good. My being on this podcast, if I could help one person, that was my goal. And meeting you and, and, and hearing from other people, I know I've helped people. And now you're, pa- now you're passing it forward. You don't know that you're not going to be able to get out there. I have, That's you know, true. just by doing what you're doing right now, I have no doubt that you'll be in the public eye at some point when you're ready, helping advocate. You're, you're advocating even though you're, you're ill. Yes. And you found a way because you know that you can't keep your mind busy 24-7. We all know you get into your own mind. That's when problems start. Yeah. Good for you. Jeez. I, I mean, try. You're, you're doing a lot more than trying. You're doing a lot more than a lot of other people. You know, the thing about, the thing about living with, with um, mental health uh, disabilities um, is that you can't guarantee tomorrow. The thing about my diagnosis is that I can get a job. I can't guarantee you I'll be there tomorrow <laughs> because I could wake up and I said, uh, I can't get out. My feet will not swing off the side of this bed. If I swing them off the side of the bed, I can't guarantee you that I'm going to be able to get dressed with matching clothes. Um, they may be a little mismatched and they may not want me at their front desk meeting their clients. So, so that's a problem. So um, if I let go of my disability, I'm like, whoa, I might be having to like 20 jobs in one week and then uh, I'll be back in the homeless shelter again. So 
I figure I have to balance it out. Find a way to be productive and live off of your disability and add to that. So you still have to find a formula. So if I can help someone along the way figure out what their formula is when they're in my situation, then I'm still able to be productive. Um, and you're going to be even more productive because they're going to pay it forward. They're going to say, hey, yes. you know what? My friend Portia told me about this. Yes. And then they're going to tell their friends. They're going to say, hey, my friend who's a friend of Portia told me about this. So you're actually creating a, a, a domino effect, yes. which is going to help. And, and just for people out there, let me tell you something about disability payments. We're all below the poverty line. It is not a lot of money. So if you people think that we're sitting here getting rich off of, off of disability, boy, why don't you check the average disability payments? Usually, I think they're $11,000 a year. It's caused me to become a great guy at doing value. You know, you, you learn to budget your money very well. I can only imagine. And that's another thing it's that you have going for you. You have a daughter. I have actually more than a daughter, and I had four of them when I, when I first got on disability. So you're taking care of four kids on, on, on a disability payment. And I hid my disabilities from them because I wanted them to be carefree children. I, I see, just, that's, that's another thing. I wanted thing. them. Hiding my disabilities took everything in me. They, to, do, they must know now, though, they right? They know now because right. I got to a point where I needed respite at one point. Sure. And I had to have the oldest child help out with the younger children while I went to respite. I drove myself to respite. I couldn't take it. I was so tired of holding the mask, um, you know, this decorative mask of a smile. and Like we had know, talked about earlier. Yes. The people on the TV commercial. The, yes, you're wearing this mask and you're smiling. You come out the door and you're saying hello to everybody and you're waving. You're saying, hi, how you doing? And behind the mask, you're just looking like, oh, my God, please, no one speak to me. I'm going to cry if you even say boo. Now, you don't hide that anymore, do you? Well, actually, I do. A lot of times, I do. Like, I, I really have to still put on that face um, because I'm raised from a generation where you do not let the, what's going on behind that door does not leave from this house. But you're in a new generation. You're your own person. I am, but I'm. the seed was planted from the old generation, and it's hard to shake that. When I step outside, I present. I'm, I have a military parent and a religious parent, and that upbringing is rigid. That's tough. Yeah. It's tough. I, I, when I step outside that door... I present and I stand up straight and I pull it together. And it's only in a very comfortable place and a very comfortable room of folk that I feel I can really be honest with that I will allow myself to be, let's say, real. And even then afterwards, I will think to myself, uh-oh, did I just share too much? Did I just say too much? Can I take it back? Is it too late? I overshare. People have said I overshare all the time, but I would rather have no skeletons in my closet. And you know what? It took me a long time to come public about this. People knew because I'd had panic attacks in front of them and it was close friends. If I go into work and people are like, hey, Derek, you're not, you're not you today. Having a down day, but I'm still here. Anything I can do. Because by dropping the happy face, 
now I have friends who have actually learned about depression, anxiety, panic, and stuff like that. And now instead of just saying, oh, you know, now they're just like, hey, can you work? And it's not about the work itself. It's about is Derek okay where he can hold it together or does he need that break to just go home, take care of himself, not worry about the job, but take care of himself? You've got the seeds planted where I think you're going to start letting down that mask. And when people ask, how are you doing? You're going to be like, you know what? I'm having a bad day, but tomorrow's a new day. I and, like that. And that's how I always, you know, if I talk to my mom, how are you doing? Having a bad day. But you know what? Tomorrow's a new one. And, and she'd say, you know what? Tomorrow is a new day. And she's like, things are going to be better. And I, was, I would always say, I hope so. She's like, don't hope. You know so. Tomorrow is a new day. But I think definitely you are on, you know, the right track. I applaud you for everything you've done. I mean, you got to give yourself a lot more credit. And the thing is, as you get more comfortable being around people, you're not going to have to put up that happy face as much. When the happy face is there, it'll be a legitimate, hey, I'm feeling good today. And, but just remember, I know your upbringing is tough, but you never have to hide the fact that you're down and people will rally around you. And the people who don't rally around you, those are negative forces in your life that could be adding to your, to your illness. And I found, that out, I found that out over the years. So congratulations on everything you've done. Thank you. And that is true. That's tough, though. You know, you have to let go of a lot of people that sometimes you've been are in your family or that you um, grew up with or close friends. And that's kind of tough. If they don't want to learn what you're going through, yes. what kind of friend are they? Well, that's true. I lost a lot of friends through this because they thought it was an excuse. They thought yes. I was faking it. And I just did air quotes on the radio, which no one could see. <laughs> um but then other friends said, you know what, I need to check into this. And then they realized they have some sort of mild anxiety. And I came across a quote. I don't know who it's from, where it's from. I think it might have been from a movie. But now, you know, one of my mantras is you can't focus on what you don't have. Focus on what you do have. And if those people that you've let go, you know, you're crying that you lost their friendship. You think they're crying over you? Oh, no. No. So why should you waste time in your head with them and focus on the things that you have around you and the people who understand you? I would rather love five people with all my heart and soul than love 10 people and five are just wondering what can Derek do for them or, you know, they don't care because they want to have a friend who has mental illness in their portfolio. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. I like that. Well, no, that. it's true. How many, That's true. Honestly, how many people people will get a black friend Yes. so they're not conceived as racist? Yes. Or a Jewish friend or Chinese so that they can say, you know, if they're talking to somebody, well, I have a black friend, they just slip it in there. Oh, my brother-in-law is Jewish or something like that. Well, you know, and then it comes up, oh, you know, my friend's suffering. Well, I have a friend who has mental illness too. I could give two craps about them, but hey, they're one of my friends, so you know I got to keep them in there. So in case the, it comes up, I can say I got them. And it's just it's just one of those things that happens in life, and it's come across before, and it, it's a funny thing. But to the people who will, who will hold on to you just for that fact, it's sad. So do you guys? And I'm just curious. I get the overall concept of what you're trying to say of the idea of the diversity that people sometimes and the reason behind their diversity. I don't know if I've ever heard or seen a scenario or experienced a scenario where someone's like, oh, because you have 
a disability, a mental illness, or whatever the case is, I want that person in my portfolio of friends. So these like actual experiences that you've had where people are like, I'm only your friend because I, cause you're, you're mentally ill and I need that in my life. Yeah. They yes. try, they, they try to hide it. Yes. They, they try to make it so that that's not the reason they're your friend. Yes. But you only hear from them when they might be having an anxiety attack or they want something from you or. For the sake of this, the, the speech, like Derek just said, but would they invite you to dinner? No. Would they want you to date their daughter or their son? No. Same thing with the middle, mental illness. It has that type of stigma still attached to it. Yes. I'll be your friend, but don't come near my family. Yes, don't. Y yes. It still has that level of stigma to it. I know so many people who have mental illness that are my friends and family. And I guess for me, I just look at it as like, Oh, well, it's just a feature they have. I mean, if I had to expand my portfolio, I think I need to find people that have less mental illness. <laughs> right, but you, you deal with people with mental illness, you don't have it. So you're not, you're not on the jaded side that we are, that we've, that we've had experiences with people who want us around. Well, I'm not going to say jaded. I'm sorry. You deal with a lot of people. You yourself probably suffer from, well, you've told us that you, that you have. Yes, I have anxiety, and I have ADD, which is actually a recent diagnosis, and I've had depression, so I've experienced a lot of the same things. And also, I've mentioned that my father, he's bipolar, and he's been, he was diagnosed when I was three years old. Um, and you've never come across a friend who was just like, they wanted you as a friend because you had the hookup at Fuller? Or I hope not. I'm almost 40 years old. I've only been there for two and a half years. <laughs> but, but you've never experienced anybody who was just, well, I guess you're one of the lucky ones. You know, I, I've seen friends come and go over 25 years now. And I'm sure, you know, the same thing, you know? Yes. Yeah, no, I haven't. I haven't had that experience. and Or maybe I have and I just didn't process it as that experience. But I also think because I've surrounded myself in in different ways with folks who have mental illness, it wasn't. It wasn't like I, I jumped into the job and then all of a sudden I needed to collect people like tokens that, that I needed to, to, to help. My passion for this work started at a very young age being somebody who witnessed their own family member who was, you know, suffering with mental illness. And, and I think my dad was like 45 when he went, was just ended up going on disability for his mental illness, which is kind of young. I think I was like, I don't want to guess. I want to say I was like, 15 years old so I was, I was young and I think that for me I think that there's a lot more prevalence about of mental illness and symptoms of mental health and it's not even just mental illness there's so many different layers there's chronic mental illness and then there's mental I think everybody experiences mental health needs and symptoms at some point in, in their lives because again growing up he was my dad and he happened to have mental illness I think my my take on mental illness was very different and so I view it differently. I grasp it and I see it uh, differently in people. I don't know. I just. When I first started my job at PC, mm -hmm. I told the people, listen, I suffer from panic and anxiety and I have depression. So I will be able to do my job. Sometimes I'll be fine. Sometimes I won't be. And they embraced me. People at the Paw Sox, the same thing. They embraced what I stood for. They, they liked the fact that I wasn't going to sugarcoat anything. This is the way I'm feeling. I, if I'm here, I am up to do the job. And I am not going to make up an excuse. If I am sick, 
I will tell you if it's a physical or a mental sickness. When I call my mom, I'm not feeling good. And she will say physically or mentally, a little bit of both or just mentally. But tomorrow, once again, is a new day. But I think when it comes down to, to friends, in your greatest moment of need and you call one of those friends and they're not available, then you know. You know, you know who you who on that list you can call first, second, third, fourth, fifth if somebody's not available. And then there are those people who you call, hey, can you I, I need a ride. I'm having a tough time. Can you take me out? Well, you know, you know, and they just they scamper around the question. All right. You know what? I, I'll find somebody else. Thanks. Goodbye. And that's where, you know, it can come in. Where, where were you? You know, I was there for all your questions. I needed a lift. Where, where were you? I think it also depends upon like who your circle is. So I know folks my age grew up in my area who have had a history of, you know, chronic significant mental illness. And the way that I've seen myself and my family embrace that person is different than say they may have experienced within their own family or their own immediate circle. Maybe their parents didn't understand or really conceptualize kind of what that looks like. It was something you could pray away or something that you could just, yes. you know, it just get over it. Just get over yes. it. And that still shocks me when people say just get over it. And in my family, it is, it's not something that we look at it as something that you get over. We support each other through it. Like my mom says, you have to get through it to get over it. So I, I think that makes a huge impact. Yes, I've definitely experienced those. The get over it and the, the pray it away has been huge. And it frustrates me to the highest power, the pray over it and put the medication down and get closer to Jesus come to Jesus. I said, why can't I have both? Can't they work together? And it's usually a no. So unfortunately, it, it caused me to be pushed away from the church avenue, which I thought was sad. But I got tired of hearing the negativity about mental health and the stepping on of my toes, as they say in the church lingo. So I said, well, I have to leave this avenue alone because I'm feeling kind of pummeled, um, which doesn't help the mental health. So, um, and then it was, stop thinking. You're thinking too hard. You're thinking too much. That's your problem. You're thinking too much. Stop it. Well, that is a problem, but it's not, I mean, you just don't stop just it. stopping isn't a solution. Yeah, not a switch. That's why there are so many suicides in the Jehovah Witnesses, because Jehovah Witnesses don't believe in mental, mental illness. They don't believe in blood transfusions. My mother is a new Jehovah Witness over the past seven years. And if she hadn't seen my mental illness before she became a Jehovah's Witness, I'd be out in the cold. We had a big, I mean, we had talked about this off air. We had a big argument about my mental illness and what was going on. And she was starting not to believe that I had one, even though she had been to every ER with me. The way they treat their mental illness, people who are feeling depressed, anxious, is go out and spread the word. Go out and what they call service. Go out and service. Knock on doors. Spread the word of Jehovah, and that's going to get you out of your depression. And it doesn't, and they kill themselves. But to encounter that just a little bit, not so much with the the facts they provide, because I have, I have no 
I have no f- facts in front of me about like the, the a suicide rate among certain sects of religion. But I honestly have the facts to back that up. I, I don't have them with me, but I actually have them. I trust in the day and age of Google. I trust and believe that you have that. But it's interesting because in the same breath, I have witnessed and seen where people's faith have enhanced and allowed them to cope with and move through some of the symptoms of their mental illness. Oh, definitely. So it's kind of like it really is case by case, person by person. What works for you may not work for you or not work for me. And it's finding what what works for you. And some people it's their faith and some people it's it's medication and in some people it's medication and, and therapy. Some people it's holistic. But it also approaches. depends on your faith. It also depends on the church you go to. I'm an advocate of, again, whatever works for the individual, whether it's faith or if it's support groups or friends or Facebook. I'm I'm agreeing with you. I'm just saying sometimes it's a trial and error, just like meds. Oh, absolutely. I'm a I'm a huge advocate for trial and error. I'm not I'm definitely not in the mindset of there's one one pill to cure it all or one approach to cure it all. I think that this is something that a lot of folks can relate to even outside of the topic of mental illness when it comes to how they approach their lives. I'll look at someone just looking at us as individuals and how we approach our own self-care, our own choices in life, what we, who we choose to marry or to date or where to live or our careers. It really is what works for the individual and Personally, I'm happy to be in, in a country where we can have these conversations and it's completely okay <laughs> to ha- say, hey, I have this opinion and this is what this is how I feel. Um, so speaking of freedom of speech, let's talk about your book a little bit because you, you were an author. Yes. Which is, I definitely put that in the queue of um, 100% working. So you're a mom, you're an author, you're an advocate. You have your role at the Tenants Association. Not just an author, a published author. A published author. So let's talk a little bit. Tell us about your 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 book. Well, thank you. My book is titled Ms. Catfish, M-I-Z, Catfish. And that title is meant as a mental, in a mental capacity, not like the show. It's um, a state of mind of being the one who cleans up behind others. That's how I came up with the title. Um, It's on Amazon.com. And I wrote the book after coming out of the shelter and um, meeting folks in different walks of life. And I wanted to um, use the book as a means of bringing people together and doing what we're doing right now, coming together and bringing forth discussion on different subjects and hoping that by coming together and discussing different issues, people would become more open-minded to the different choices of others. So in my book, I have about five characters who live together in a brownstone, and they each come from different walks of life and nationalities. And there, I picked subjects that we usually talk about in mainstream that we usually make quick choices about how these people fell into these situations. And we make very quick choices on how we feel about them. And I hope I chose a way to write about them that would cause people to think, hmm, I didn't think about that. I didn't think that maybe that could happen in that way. I thought it happened in this way. And so I want to bring about discussion and the fact that No man is an island. We need a network. It takes a village to raise a child, but it also takes a village to support an adult. 
So that's my means of being a writer. And so that book being out there, dealing again, coming back to the mental health, I haven't been able to do part two because I've been up and down with my mental health. So I have half of the book written and the other half is already timelined and I just can't keep my mind still. It comes in and it comes out and I get up in the middle of the night and I'm like, I feel it. I feel it. I know where she's going. And then I put the pencil down and I'm like, I don't feel it anymore. It's gone. Um, so, you know, with mental I think that's how most authors work, though, yeah, I would imagine. I, dealing with mental health is so interesting because in my case, I can't tell what I'm doing that's Portia, what I'm doing that's Portia with mental health, which of my diagnosis is kicking in. I can't tell what I'm doing that's Portia the writer. And I'm a Gemini. So <laughs> we, we're very multifaceted. So it's very complicated to figure out I'm empathic. So if I've been in a room full of people or if I've been around someone that's having a down day, I pick it up like a sponge. So all of that, it, it makes up who I am. So I, the second book is like stuck in my head, just like floating around and I want to get it out so bad because pe- those that have read part one uh, are waiting for part two. I'm so excited to get part two out there. But you can't force it. I can't force it. But, you know, they could all crash and burn, Derek. Like, there could be a really bad incident. And and I could just get out there what's already written. There could, but you know what? I could get hit by a bus tomorrow, <laughs> honestly, walking across the street. So you can't, you can't, you can't think in, you know, we know tomorrow's never promised. But you can't, you can't think that. You know, it took me this long to do this. Listen, it's there. Yes. And if you try to force it out, it's not going to be what you want it to be. Oh, doggone it. You know, I so you've got to you got to cut yourself a little I, slack on so that. So I can't take the shortcut. You really want me? I have to come up with the whole novel. OK, well, that's well, up to you. But I think it, I think it would be good to come up with the whole okay. novel, you know. OK, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So I'm going to come out with part two. And I thank Carrie for her support because she is so awesome. Like, she has this really cool aura. When I first met her, I emailed her back and I said, you have, like, the best aura about you. She just has the best smile and she is a really great hugger. Like, I come from a family of huggers, like, real huggers. Like, So you were, you don't really not, know her? Not. Oh, oh, my goodness. Like, <laughs> that is such a little brother thing, man. Like, wow. He didn't just go there. Like. <laughs> That's such a little like brother to clarify, Big brother, big brother. <laughs> oh, big brother. Uh-oh. That's even worse. That's you know, even worse. You know, Carrie, the title of her book, you know, when you look at it, Ms. Catfish, isn't mental illness the ultimate catfish? Down the bottom of the mm. tank. Because it's making you feel something that isn't real. Well, that's the show. Yes. And it's the fish. You know, because I have a fish tank. I've al- I've always had a fish tank since I was a child. I've always had a fish tank. And then when I moved out on my own, I had a fish tank. And I love guppies. Guppies are, they have this beautiful tail and it always, you can get different varieties, but they always have this beautiful tail, like fan tail, and they have blues and golds and, and arm ambers, and they're just gorgeous. And I always get them. And then I always get like a catfish. And, and catfishes are usually gray and... And they're usually like muddy looking, but you can get some really nice calico looking ones. But anyway, they just didn't really oomph, you know, and the catfishes just do these 
aquatics um, swimmers. They're just gorgeous. And the catfish is just hiding behind your plants and they come out and then they, they get a little bit of something, something, and then they hide again. And that's the way I feel like the catfish. I feel like the catfish. And I'm like, I got to go up there where the sun is. Like, I got to get up there. You got to become a starfish. Yeah, I got to get up there and do a little something. I got to take the mask off and get up there and do some swimming and some back floating. But see, you you know what you need to do. Yes. And you know what? I've known what I needed to do. And there's no time frame for that. So you can't feel bad about that. Last year... I told myself I wanted to surprise my stepfather on Father's Day, and I was going to drive to the Cape. I'd never driven to the Cape since my parents moved down there after my grandmother and my aunt passed. And you know what? One day, I just decided, you know what I'm going to do on Father's Day weekend? And I just drove up there. It took me 45 minutes, and I did it. I mean, I posted on Facebook. It was the greatest thing ever. My stepfather, who is hardcore Portuguese, who never really believed in this, but he realized it was something real. Before I left, he's like, I understand what it took you to get down here, and I will love you forever for that. And he, that was the first time he ever said something like that. And he cried. And I was just like, so you know what you need to do. And one of those days, one of these days, boom, it's going to happen. But like I said, you can't force it. It has to come naturally. But one of those days, you know, you're going to just be like, boom, I'm not a catfish anymore. I'm a starfish. Okay, I'm going to take that in. I'm going to take it in. Mark my words. It's kind of pinging off of me right now. It's kind of pinging off of me, but. I think I see, I think I hear a title of another book. What about Miss Starfish? I like that. Starfish? Yeah, the sequel is Miss Starfish. My next one is Phoenix. Spirit gave that to me. The Rise. My next one is Phoenix. I sat up one night at like 2 o'clock in the morning. I sat right up in bed and was digging for like a pencil and a a, a, um, receipt. That's what whatever you can write on writers yeah. do. Yes, anything in sight, like an eyebrow pencil, anything. And I sat up and I said, <gasps> "Phoenix," and and I just laid back down. And I sat up. When I got up er, later in the morning, I sat up and I said, "Thank you, Spirit," because I knew that's where it had come from. You must have good handwriting at night, because I keep oh, pen no, and I paper. Scribble. I'm like, I'm turning it aside. Yeah. What what the what, hell does what this does that mean? Say? What you know, does that I, say? I, I, gee, I can't make out. You know, and then like three months. Oh yeah, great. Oh yes. damn, now it's too late. <laughs> No, I, I, no, it was scribble, and and, and I'm I'm a lefty, so it oh, was, geez, yeah, yeah I, I'm I'm a lefty, so it, it it was scribble, but um I can read my scribble, so I, it it was Phoenix, and that that's the next one, and that's kind of me too. I I, I need to uh, to rise from the ashes, so that's that's one of my goals as well is to rise from the ashes, a rebirth, you know. I have no doubt you're gonna do it. Yes, yes, because of your uh, your demeanor your appetite for wanting to do things, and your overall presence. Thank you. Your overall presence. I feel like I've known you forever, and I've met you for the first time today. Oh, thank you. You have a lot going for you, and, and you have to give yourself credit for that. You know, you, you take any battle that you've won, and you go with it, especially in this type of situation. No matter how big or small that win is, you know, you get your peaks and your valleys. You take what you can get, and you build on that. And you're, you're, you're building skyscrapers right now. Don't get down. Don't get upset if it's not happening right away. Yeah, I want to be better yesterday. Yes. It doesn't work like that. Yes. But you got to remember, Portia, that when when it happens, it's glorious. It really is. I think how will I know when it happens because I am complex PTSD. Complex PTSD 
you're always waiting for the next shoe to fall because so many shoes have fallen. Right. So Something good happens. Like, you're waiting for the other one. That, <laughs> yes. I don't do that anymore. I always, I, I was <laughs> like that a lot too. It's like, hey, something great happened. All right. Okay. I'm not getting excited. Yeah, exactly. Where's the counterbalance? The universe has something else for me. You know, my religious family thinks, oh, you know, you, you, you're angry at God. It's like, I'm not angry at God. This has nothing to do with God. I think this is just the universe. It's God that helps me get up every morning in my clothes match because mentally in my mind, my clothes don't give don't, God, don't give God all the credit because no, you are doing the work. I, yes, I'm doing the work, but he gives me the, the energy, sure. you know, to do so. But if it were left to myself, uh, my shoes would be on the wrong feet. My clothes would be mixed matched. They'd be rumpled and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, Doesn't matter. You but, still got up and did it. You know, the universe is what, you know, things happen in my mind, you know, day to day. Two years ago, I, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I said, you got to be kidding me. Like, really? Me? Come on. Am I going to get a break? What? Really? Yeah. <laughs> so so I was down at the hospital and I got diagnosed with breast cancer and I just said, okay, what do I do now? And so they say, okay, you go over here and the next thing is A and the next thing is B and the next thing is C. And after I did that, I said, okay, I did it. I did it. I'm okay. I'm okay. All right. Just, just keep taking your meds. Keep doing it. I mean, what are you going to do? You wake up the next morning, you got to keep going. You know, that's what you do. So I kept going, and then two days later, they called me back, and they said, oh, we didn't get it all. You have to have another surgery. And I said, what are you talking about? And, and my friends, my, my closest friends, they said, oh, it's okay. You know what? This is you. This is you, girl. You know what's going to happen. You're going to end up running some group somewhere and supporting people with breast cancer. That's going to be you. I'm snapping my fingers, people. I'm snapping my fingers. <laughs> That's just Portia. She's going to survive it, and she's going to go and help the next sister or the next brother. I said, yeah, but do I have to survive it all? Can't I just read about it on the web like everybody else and go talk about it? No, the universe says Portia has to live it. Now, with mental health, with being a complex PTSD, this is adding another layer to my onion. I am exhausted. So I hear you when you say, you're going to do that Phoenix thing, Portia. But internally, I feel like, no, Derek, it's not going to happen because the universe is going to drop another shoe on Portia's doorstep. My answer to that, if if there is an answer, is I, I read a book. Why do good? Uh, why do bad things happen to good people? Okay, so basically, what I got from that book is it was written by I think um, uh, Jimmy Swaggart. It was it was a religious book, but from what I took from it and what I take from you is, and people have told me the same thing. When you do, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back because I am I'm a very modest person. When you do so much good in the world you're bound to run into something bad. Yes. <laughs> you have to look at it that way. You know, there are people who fake their way through life, who, who get away with things, and, and I don't know how they sleep at night, but they sleep just fine. You know, they, you know, I know two people in my family who skate through life, and they sleep fine at night. And I do my best to live the cleanest, most solid life, and things always happen to me. But it's for a reason because I think I've done enough good in this world where I've just, some bad stuff has to happen. It was funny because like a week ago, and I have this problem sometimes, 
and I don't know if you get this, and, and you might this might happen to you, so don't be afraid of it. I was sitting around, and this happened when I was getting through my panic and anxiety. I was sitting there one day, and there was absolutely nothing wrong. Nothing had gone wrong that day. Nothing good, nothing bad. It was just a great day. Everything was fine. And guess what happened? I started panicking. I called my mom. Mom, I'm panicking. She's like, why? I was like, I don't know, because nothing happened. She's like, that's why. You've lived in that chaos for so long. Things are normal, and you're panicking because nothing is wrong. Yes, I've had and it made moments. absolutely no sense to me. And now I can figure that out and say, hey, you know what? Nothing's wrong, and just chalk it up as a win and, and, and a great day and know that things are going to be okay. That's true. I've had those moments. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? <laughs> yes, It's it just is. like... I should be relaxing, but I'm panicking. Everything's okay. We yes. made it through the day with nothing happening. Nothing happening. Now, if I can string three or four of those days together, yes. you know, it, it, it's good, you know? Yeah, I'm always waiting for the bird to hit the window. Well, you know what? If you can have one of those days, you can have two, you can have three, and then they start becoming more prevalent than your bad days. And from someone who's been there and done it, Trust me, it, it's it's going to happen, Portia. You know, it's going to happen. If you can't see it right now, that's fine because people told me I was going to be okay. And I said, yeah, sure. I'm ready to jump off a, a freaking bridge because I can't put up with this anymore. And you're telling me I'm going to be okay? Yeah, to hell with you. No one, I, I would have known 25 years later that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a professional photographer for, for athletic and professional baseball. And I'm doing a podcast telling people how I survived when I thought I was going to be dead by the time I was 40, never mind 48. That's all you are. You're a spring chicken. I must look like a spring chicken over here. I'm over here fluffing my hair. You guys can't <laughs> see me fluffing my hair. I definitely think that there is a lot to be said about coming together. I feel like right now I'm really loving this podcast tonight because I feel like we're having really open conversation, but we are just continuing to break that stigma yes. that we experience and what we have seen happen or are just have our own perspective on. So I think um, you are an awesome guest. Thank you. I will say Thank that. Thank you for having me. You have a lot of great energy. Your aura is fantastic. Thank I think you. we're definitely going to have you back because I you. like to keep tabs on, you know, your book Thank you. um, as it progresses, as you progress as more of an advocate. And the sequel. The sequel. <laughs> you know, the that more. everyone doesn't just crash and burn. Oh, well, hey. You learn from it, though. You do learn from it. I mean, honestly, you live and you learn. And you go at your own pace, and that's really the most important takeaway. Thank you for you do... having me. I'd love, to be, I'd love to be back. I love to help. I, love, I just love to help, help others. We absolutely would love to have you back. I think that you, um, everybody here is, especially listening to both of your stories, you know, you may look at it as waiting for the next shoe to drop. I guess for me, I look at it as building resiliency. And the other because, shoe could be a positive drop. Well, let's let's remember that. The other shoe could be a positive, could be a drop. positive drop. I don't know about that, but I'll take your I'd word rather for be, it. I would rather be in your shoes because I wouldn't imagine being in someone's shoes who never had an opportunity to build resiliency that maybe lived a very easy, so quote unquote, life. And then when that thing does happen, when that shoe does drop, how do they approach it versus somebody who's they call, well-versed? They call Portia or Derek. <laughs> they exactly. do. <laughs> yes. So speaking of calls and numbers and contact information, again, we want to thank you, Portia, for coming today. We really enjoyed having you, and we would absolutely welcome you back. So for folks that have any questions about um, any of our listeners that want to know more about our podcast or about Fuller Hospital or any of the services 
that we provide. You have a couple of different ways of doing so. You can go to www.fullerhospital.com. We have um, an updated website that shows all of our services and ways to contact us as well. But you can call us at Fuller and you can, and I'm, I'm Carrie Ballou. You can ask me by name or you can um, extension 2354. In addition, um, we'd like for folks in this greater Attleboro or Massachusetts slash Rhode Island area to know that there are resources out there that you can access in your in your own time and at your own pace we have a drop-in center here that's held once a month it's called the you are not alone drop-in center it's actually held at the murray unitarian universalist church on 505 north main street here in attleboro it runs from 5 30 to 8 p.m it is a safe space for folks that want to come and access actual resources and talk to folks that represent various agencies and levels of care for mental health substance abuse and domestic violence in this area, as well as um, we offer free Narcan training and we can help you access voluntary treatment um, in some cases that night. We've um, definitely helped in that area. Uh, so please join us. And again, we, we also absolutely respect anonymity. You do not even have to give your name if you just want to come and check us out, get info for you or for a loved one. We're here. If you guys uh, want to learn more about your podcast, um, you can go on. We are on Facebook. We are on TuneIn, Stitcher, iTunes. You know, if you if you just look up exploring mental illness and it will give you everything that you need to know. Um, we are also on WARA Radio, 1320 AM in the Attleboro area, or you can listen to us online all over the world at uh, www.wararadio.com. And that airs six o'clock on Monday nights. So actually, uh, we're taping while we're actually on the radio right now, which is which is pretty funny. But anyway, and once again, I want to thank uh, Portia for being on. It was it was a pleasure having you. Hope we will have you back and, and Carrie in Austin. And you know, the one thing that we always say is you're not alone. It's not a gimmick. It's not a phrase. It's the truth. You, you're never alone. If you see signs in a friend, a family member, it doesn't matter. Call somebody. Call nine one one. They're not going to get upset. That's what they're there for, because. You know, you might save a life instead of somebody taking one, and that's the that's the biggest thing uh, about this. So, um, and if you have any questions, you can reach us through email at uh, mentalillness at wararadio.com. So, um, we want to thank everybody once again. Um, if you see something, say something. You know, it, this isn't one of those things where snitches get stitches. This is this is where you're saving lives um, instead of having them being taken. So for uh, Austin, Portia, and uh, Carrie, uh, my name is Derek Mulhan. Uh, take care of yourself and each other. And until next time, be well. The contents of the Exploring Mental Illness podcast provides general information and discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast, its associated website, and any links material are not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. This podcast should not be used in any legal capacity. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on this podcast or its associated website. If the listener or any other person has a medical concern, they should consult an appropriately licensed healthcare professional. The views expressed on this podcast do not represent the views or opinions of Attleboro Access Cable Systems, Arbor Fuller Hospital, or their parents' corporations. The contents of the Exploring Mental Illness podcast and its associated website are copyrighted Attleboro Access Cable Systems. The podcast may be redistributed in accordance with Creative Commons License 4.0.